0: Welcome to part one of our latest BLA Piper Tech Law Podcast. My name is Chris Baird. I'm a London-based partner and an M&A lawyer at global business law firm BLA Piper. Welcome to today's podcast, which I, together with Alina Turina, Chief Strategy Officer of Founders Factory Africa, will be discussing the role that Founders Factory Africa plays on the continent of Africa, as well as some of the current themes and dynamics affecting the markets in which FFA operates. Alina, thank you very much, first of all, for taking the time to join us today. I thought maybe we could start this off by you introducing Founders Factory Africa and what it is that you do, uh, and in particular, the role that you play.
1: Thank you, Chris, Uh, and thank you for having me. It's an absolute delight to talk to you today. Um, My name is Alina and uh, I'm uh, a co-founder and chief strategy officer at FFA. Founders Factory Africa is a pan-Africa venture development company. So we are both building new ventures, new startups uh, and scaling existing companies across different markets in Africa. We very much play in the early stage. Uh, space uh, of, of companies. So in uh, investment terms, it's pre-series A. We're very hands-on uh, and uh, we work with businesses to both uh, get them to a sustainable growth pathway uh, and scale trajectory, but also invest uh, very much needed uh, capital into those companies um, at the right time. And in terms of my own role uh, as, as CSO, it's really about identifying planning and managing the strategic growth of the company. Thinking about uh, the continent and the opportunities that that Africa brings, uh, both in terms of investment, uh, but also how do we set up a thriving startup economy? How do we scale Founders Factory Africa? How do we expand to new sectors and new markets?
0: So Alina, first question for you. We've been hit by COVID-19. It's had a massive impact on our societies, our health, our economies. How has this in turn impacted on FFA's thinking, not only with regards to its own portfolio investments, but future targets um, and its business strategy in general?
1: It's to say that 2020 has been a challenging year is perhaps an an understatement. Um, We're very lucky to be in two uh, very significant sectors. Uh, So health tech and fintech are our two focus areas uh, at the moment. And when the pandemic hit, I think like most people, most you know VCs and investors, but also uh, other enabling partners, um, we really took a view to ensure that we're going through the portfolio and doing everything that we can to support our companies. Casting my mind back to March of 2020, um, it's very clear that there's an enormous amount of uncertainty. There's a lot of conversations about Africa being in a position where that uncertainty casts an even more negative perception, let's say. And at the same time, there was, there was a spirit of, um, of positivity that uh, Africa, having been through some of the other crises in the past... Uh, like Ebola, you know, is, is very well placed to deal with that. That there was absolutely no doubt that this, the, again, the early stage uh, startup economy um, will be hit uh, quite hard. Having gone through and evaluate and analyze, um, you know, the portfolio of now 23 companies uh, that we have uh, across both health and, and fintech um, and thinking about, you know, what we need to do to support them in this time, Um, Very fortunate to see that uh, a lot of the companies have actually used this time to pivot, um, both from from out of a need, uh, obviously, to to ensure their survival, uh, but a lot of them have actually pivoted um, based on a new opportunity, so finding new use cases to service new types of uh, challenges that COVID has brought, but also looking forward about you know, at, at post-COVID recovery, and what does that look like for a logistics company or a diagnostics company, um, or uh, you know, or, or, or platform servicing SMEs? So there's there's it was both both a kind of a survival instinct to make sure that we've got you know we're doing everything we can at the same time, you kind know, of leveraging the opportunities uh, to 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 come.
0: It seems that flexibility and adaptability has become even more important than it was. Before, would you agree with that statement?
1: You know, I still have the picture in my mind, sitting in our Johannesburg office uh, back in March, and, um, and this was a time when actually, you know, South Africa wasn't yet hit by the the kind of the climax of the of the number of cases, and yet some of the other nations like the UK and the US uh, already seen the climb. And I was just marveling at the change in speed uh, by which we're now sort of seeing ourselves um, uh, live and work. you know it's both kind of a reduction in pace, but also to your point about adaptability, it's amazing how fast things change. and so overnight we saw you know everything going from from normal to being able to and needing to adapt to a new norm and a new case of both, uh, you know, but both relationships with your partners, relationships mm-hmm. with your customers, adapting to their needs. You know, are you servicing if you're a B two B company versus a B two C company? How does that change? But also your employees. You know, for these startups, you know, they they have teams. Um, so I think enormous amount of emphasis on being able to adapt. And I think we're still living in that in that stage of of post COVID um, uh, sort of phase of being able to position yourself to service the market need.
0: And maybe taking a step a little bit broader, so that is a helpful insight into FFA and, and what you've been doing. How have you seen it play out more broadly in the market in terms of both um, early stage investments, MA, growth capital? Have you seen anything discernible across the market as a whole?
1: if you look at the numbers, Chris, you know, if you look at the amount that the startups, again, the early stage pre-Series A companies um, raised um, last year, you know, they account for less than 10% of the overall uh, VC funding that's going into Africa. And if you look at the overall pie, that is um, about 2 billion, depending which sources you look at. But Uh, 2 billion uh, uh, USD that went into 2019. Of course, that number has has dropped um, uh, this year because of COVID. And part of it is because a lot of the sectors uh, had to slow down or or, or cease to cease to exist. You know, travel has been affected, retail, entertainment, uh, tourism. You know, Africa is so strong in tourism. At the same time, um, you know, really excited and enthusiastic about the role of technology and the role of startups and the role of. Other stakeholders that are working with startups within that. Um, So, you know, from an investment angle, again, um, and the sort of the latest figures show that um, this year, you know, that startups raised uh, a billion, a billion USD. Um, You know, we've seen investors uh, and VCs and angel investors sort of uh, change in uh, in the way that they invest. So coming up with different instruments, coming up with different timeframes yep. by which they can support these, these companies. Startups themselves have seen kind of a, a change in the way that they work together. So we've seen deals like, um, you know, M&A deals between, between startups, you know, the, the, the MSF African Bionic uh, back in June is, is a perfect example of that. We're sitting a lot more syndicate funds, again, a lot more angel investors coming together. So there's this real drive towards supporting startup economy because there's a realization that the startup economy is the backbone of Africa. Um, And so that from that perspective, I think there's been enormous shifts in a positive direction. And dare I say, thanks to almost the pandemic that we lived through, um, you know, casting sort of an eye even more broadly and looking at some of the things that we've seen Both in in, you know in the UK and others, you know we've seen sort of a lot more DFIs uh, coming out and 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 impact investors. You know immediately there's this inflow of capital around impact uh, impact driven or underpinned. uh, funding that's going towards the businesses in Africa. UK government has set up the the, the Future Fund. Uh, it's a 500 million uh, fund servicing kind of the, the the venture economy. So I think all of these shifts have really sort of indicated the real um, a, a thirst for making a world a better place, despite the pandemic.
0: It feels like adversity in some cases has has drawn the best out of us and has actually produced more activity you mentioned the word pivot and the fact that some of the founders and their businesses are looking to pivot. At FFA, are you similarly having to think about pivoting or changing the way you're approaching either your corporate backers or your founders? Is there anything discernible in terms of the way that you might be pivoting at the moment?
1: Yeah, I could talk about that all day, Chris. Um, uh, definitely. I think that, um, and again, this is just taking um, a view of the uh, quite a quite a number of conversations that I've had with different corporates this year and what they're doing, how they're seeing um, sort of their strategy and their priorities uh, coming out of this year. I think there's a real sort of understanding that in order to remain sort of competitive, and this is from a corporate's perspective, right, um, you need to be a player in innovation and you need to be participant in, you know, whether it's a startup economy or technology enabled mandate uh, digitization. You know, there's a lot of speak about that. Um, I read just recently, you know, there's a figure put on that um, Africa, if if all African markets adopt kind of a digital technology uh, mandate and prioritize, Africa will see an increase Um Uh, Will gain something like 300 billion US dollars by 2025. And that's a 10% jump in their GDP. So I think there's a general sort of understanding that that technology and um, access and leveraging and and use thereof um, delivers, delivers scale. From our side, and this is something that we're thinking about, is we're very much focused on solving the markets' challenges, gaps. But also opportunities. You know, Africa is 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 quite diverse. You know, it's not just one big continent. Different uh, different countries have different different gaps. You know, and I think when we think about you know the types of sectors that we'd like to expand to, um, you know, we're very much excited about agriculture, education, uh, logistics, sort of last mile distribution. Um, You know, deep tech covers sort of AI and IoT. I think all of these are certainly spurred and catalyzed by the pandemic. And I think the relationship with you mentioned corporates, you know, yep. uh, is, is ever more sort of aligned to, to the uh, to the kind of the, the mandate that we have uh, around the continent. But, but bottom line is where w- our focus has an, an, and has always been around creating a thriving, early stage thri- uh, thriving economy uh, of businesses, because we very much believe that in order to get um, in order to get more scale and more in order to get a, a, a bigger Pipeline of companies reaching maturity that we've seen in other emerging markets in the U.S., yeah. you know, in, in Europe, you need to start from you know you need to start from grassroots. You need to see that you need to see that uh, final flowing. And at the moment, a lot of these early stage companies are not actually um, do not have the support to be able to grow and reach those uh, reach those uh, stages.
0: It feels like naturally the need for innovation, the need to be at the forefront of tech, is key and and you're helping to transition from established corporates to people who are driving that innovation and driving that tech what are some of the misconceptions you think exist about your industry and and what you do and how are you trying to overcome some of those misconceptions do
1: you mean in terms of the sort of investing in in, in, in startups or kind of the venture capital world in its in its own right
0: I guess. Yeah, convincing corporates to to get involved in early stage, potentially high risk businesses. Um, are there certain things that you always end up asking or having to explain um, when you start out a conversation with a yeah. with a corporate?
1: The key word that you mentioned there, rightfully so, is high risk. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you look at uh, when you look on on the one hand, uh, you look at the startups and you look at corporates and as I sort of alluded to earlier, I think we very much believe that there's enormous value in the two stakeholders collaborating and working closely together. Um, And we're not the only ones, you know, there's there's across the world, uh, there's been, uh, there's been numerous programs, you know, accelerators, innovation hubs, um, trying to sort of make that relationship work. And um, why? Because both will, will, will get uh, very clear advantages. Um, you know, the corporates want to be faster, more nimble, more dynamic, more agile, more innovative. Um, they, you know, in order to, again, remain competitive. Um, and the startups who require the corporate, the kind of the large, uh, uh, with a large footprint, with a lot of assets, with a lot of human capital uh, and, and distribution channels, um, they rely on the corporate to, to grow. Uh, so, at its kind of theoretical level, it's, it, it seems like a no-brainer. Now, what we've seen, sort of the challenges in that, and, and again, coming back to your key word of high risk, is that when you look at, and this is not just corporates as in investors as well, uh, which is why, you know, we say that we, we, we see that so little capital goes towards the early stage ecosystem. There's there's risk aversion. You know, if as a corporate you are used to a very calculated way of measuring ROI and making sure that when you're investing in something, whether it's people or, or, or money, um, you know, there's a clear calculated uh, return on that investment. Um, when we look at the early stage startups, um, they they don't have that level of availability of data. They don't have the ability to put in front of you stacks and stacks of performance and traction numbers and metrics of that nature. Um, And so um, the the kind of the the disbalance, let's say, or the nexus between the two is that corporates continue to more broadly invest in your higher growth, sort of later stage, but more expensive startups, right? And uh, and not sort of, and considering the the kind of the early stage uh, businesses uh, risky. But actually, that if you were sort of to 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 uh, to bridge that gap, um, the the two sort of the two would benefit even more. Um, and so I think that there's a there's a there's a clear mandate, and of course I'm you know being biased as as FFA, but there's a clear mandate to making those two work. Um, maybe picking out some of the other things that we've seen from from sort of the corporate angle, and again there's there's some there's some corporates that are. Um, that take very much kind of an internal innovation view. You know, there's, there's many, and this is not just in Africa globally, uh, there's many corporates that are setting up internal innovation hubs or internal sort of innovation arms and, 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 and their own sort of um, venture building activities um, and leveraging sort of the, the, the again, the resources and the assets that they have. Um, I think there's other corporates that very much kind of take an external view, i.e., partnering with you know venture capital um, arm or um, an, an accelerator or somebody like ourselves, for example, um, and uh, and very much leverage the external access to uh, the startups that are out there. Um, and then there's of course the kind of the the, the blend between the two. Um, the 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 challenges that with those that. Take a purely internal view is a lot of the time they don't have uh, the necessary sort of access to talent. Uh, the talent within corporates is very different to the talent that's required to build businesses uh, and you know the entrepreneurs, but also uh, other operational specialized teams. Um, you know and. Often enough, this is the second one, it's like often enough the incentives that are created by the corporate to spin out a venture, for example, uh, are not aligned to the entrepreneur. Uh, so the corporate has very much this, you know, I need to own this venture from, from day one, whereas that doesn't necessarily incentivize the entrepreneur to work uh, on that specific, specific venture. So that, that's exactly where sort of we try and balance the, the, the two.
0: Alina, thank you for your time today. It's been great speaking to you. To our listeners, please look out for part two of this episode that forms part of our DLA Piper Tech Law podcast series.